Welcome to LifeBridge Online. Whenever it is you might be watching this, we are grateful that you are tuning in one more week to allow us to minister to you through the means of our teaching platform. As always, if there's anything that we could ever do to minister to you further, please reach out to our office or you can email me directly, michael at lifebridgechristian.org, and we will do everything we can to meet whatever needs you might have. This week, or just around the church, it's the beginning of summer. Uh, I know summer, the season, has not officially upon us, but school is out and Memorial Day is behind us. And so just like everybody else, we consider this to be summer. Uh, we have been tidying up some small details of the capital campaign that we have, have entered into. It's called Restore His House, and we're, just, we're doing some necessary maintenance and necessary repairs uh, to, to our building. And so we're close to wrapping that up. And one of those tasks was that we had to order some exterior illumination for our signs, uh, but also for our cross that we have on our building. If you've never been to our campus, we have a, a 12 to 14 foot cross that is the center of attention when you pull into our driveway. And when you drive by, you pull in, you can't help but notice this huge cross hanging on the side of our building. So we are putting some spotlights uh, on our cross to bring attention to this symbol when you drive by at night. So people that come by, man, they're going to they're going to come by, they're going to see the cross being lit up. You know, the cross has clearly become the iconic symbol of the Christian faith. People wear crosses on their clothing. Uh, people wear crosses as jewelry. Um, I actually have what I consider to be a pretty funny picture. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't find it. It's a picture of me in middle school. Uh, I had a flat top. I've always had my hair cut close. And I'm wearing a turtleneck with a sweater. And on the outside of that turtleneck dangling down is a gold chain with a, that's right, a gold cross. Now we, we adorn ourselves with crosses. They're on t-shirts. Uh, we decorate our walls and our houses with crosses. When you walk into my parents' home, you open up the front door uh, directly in front of you through the, through the formal living room is, is the wall that's just covered with crosses. There must be there must be 30 to 40 crosses on there easy. Throughout history, the cross has moved from a feared torture device to an everyday common decoration. For some, it's art. For others, it is a reminder of a sacrifice once made. Most historians believe that the cross came about uh, when the Persians, around 300 to 400 BC. It was used mostly as a torture device to get information from enemies. The original use of the cross was a little bit less barbaric, if you will, than what we know about its use within the Christian faith. The Persians would tie people to a capital T, uh, not, not like the one over my shoulder here, but one where the cross beam is at the very top. 
They would tie people to this capital T and you would hang down with all the pressure being on the joints uh, across your, your upper body, the shoulders. Uh, this would cause severe cramping. The lungs would struggle and eventually you would just find it extremely difficult to breathe. And as you sat there and you suffocated in this uh, cruel manner, you, you would eventually surrender yourselves to give up the information needed. That's how the Persians used it originally. The Romans perfected the use of the cross as a form of execution. They, they would nail you to the wooden beams after being beaten severely, oftentimes stripping you of your clothes. And then they would put you on display on the side of roads going into the major cities to remind others of what will happen with your acts of disobedience. The Romans would use different versions of the cross. They would use the capital T, they would use an X, they would use the one commonly known as the one Jesus died on behind me. They experimented with how to use it to maximize suffering. Crucifixion was eventually outlawed in Rome by the Christian emperor Constantine in 345 AD. So today, with that information at hand, I, we're talking about the cross. Uh, it's part of our Core 52 reading. If you're playing along with that and participating, we're grateful for that. Uh, this particular Sunday, the emphasis is on the cross. And so that's what we talk about today, which is interesting since when Jesus walked the earth, the topic of the cross was taboo. You didn't talk about it in public. You didn't want to talk about it in private. So anytime that Jesus mentioned the cross, anytime that he spoke of the cross, it was almost this cringe-worthy moment. You can imagine uh, Jesus is teaching and the disciples are there and Jesus was not afraid. He was not intimidated to speak his mind because he speaks with truth and authority. And when he would talk about the cross, those disciples who knew the culture, who understood, would sit there and give this cringe. Oh, he did it again. He's not going to win people over. One of those moments took place in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It happens to be our core verse this week. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Now those are some pretty strong words by Jesus. You're telling the very men who have signed up to follow you. They've accepted the invitation to follow you. The ones who have left family and livelihoods behind. They've already done this to be your disciple, that now they too must pick up and carry this torture device if they really want to be a follower. This carries a lot more weight for the disciples who hear this than it does for you and I today. In their minds, as Jesus mentions those words, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. The disciples can see the dying bodies of people that maybe they know, 
hanging on the wooden crosses on the sides of the road. They've heard the cries of those who have screamed out in anguish as they were being executed. Those words are a lot more severe to the disciples than they are to you and I. The cross is a scary reality that Jesus is now bringing into the equation if you want to be his follower. So does Jesus mean that they must literally die at the means of a cross to be his follower? Or is there more to what he is saying here? Well, I encourage you, read the rest of what Jesus says in this conversation. Picking it up in Matthew 16, 25. If you try to hang onto your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels and the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Jesus is presenting the disciples with two approaches to life. There's two ways you people can live your life if you want. You can deny yourself. Or you can live for yourself. You can take up your cross. Or you can ignore the work of the cross. You can follow Christ or you can follow the world. You can lose your life for his sake. Or you can save your life for your own sake. You will forsake the world. Or you will try to gain the world. You can keep your soul. Or you can lose your soul. You can share in his reward and glory. Or you can lose his reward and glory. Jesus is using the image of the cross to teach his followers an important lesson. Don't fall into the trap of trying to follow me, Jesus, and live for yourself. It's impossible. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two different masters. He's telling his disciples, don't fall for that trap. Don't think you could live for yourself and try to follow me. Here's the interesting thing about this moment in time. The location that Jesus says this is equally important. I, I, I see, and my church makes fun of me because I use this word a lot. I see the intentionality in the moment, in the location of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus and his crew have traveled um, to Caesarea Philippi, which is in the northern part of the region. This is the location where one of the kings of ancient Israel, uh, Jeroboam, chose to set up idol worship. It's a, it's a long, drawn-out story. You can go back starting with Solomon, and you can read through Solomon and his son, Rehoboam, and then getting into Jeroboam. Here's what Jeroboam did. He, he decided that God wasn't enough. And so he set up in this very area, uh, right where Jesus and the disciples are standing, he set up idol worship. He, he didn't cast God out and he didn't say that God wasn't an option. He just added 
the idol worship as another option. And because the people attempted to worship God and worship the false gods, they fell from Jehovah's blessing. It's a trap that Jesus doesn't want his followers to fall into. It's better for you to make the sacrifice now and you will reap the reward later. Later on, John, in some of his letters, he writes in, in the first letter, John chapter 2, verse 6, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And that's the challenge that Jesus makes in his teaching to his disciples in this moment. I'm only asking you to do, followers of mine, what I am doing and what I am willing to do. Deny yourself now for the sake of others. Jesus would go on not too long after this conversation and he would go on and he would hang from a cross, beaten, tortured, spit upon, bloodied. He would go to the cross. Have you ever thought about those hours that Jesus spent on the cross? Have you ever thought about what he did in those moments? I mean, think about this. In the moment of being sacrificed, in the moment of his ripped open back, touching the wood that was there, Jesus is still ministering to others. The flesh is pierced with nails. It's, he's struggling to breathe. And he's ministering to those around. These aren't in order, but you can go back to the latter parts of Matthew and Mark and Luke and, and John, and you, you can read through the moments, the six hours or so that Jesus was on the cross. He continued to minister to people in the height of sacrifice, in the height of suffering, Jesus still had you and I on his mind. Think about this. Think about what took place while Jesus is in this position, hanging from a wooden cross. He takes care of his mother. She's there. And that had to be hard to see your son hanging from this torture device. He is, he is there and her heart, you know, is breaking for Jesus. But yet it's Jesus who takes care of his mom in that moment. As he looks to John, he says, she is now your mother and he is now your son. Then there's the, the interaction with the other criminals on uh, either side. One on his left and one on his right. Thieves, murderers. One scoffing and making fun of Jesus. The other one showing some, some empathy. Having empathy for Jesus. He does not deserve what we deserve. He does not deserve this moment. Jesus invites the thief into eternity with him. Then the very people that have hung Jesus to the cross, Jesus forgives them. And he says, Father, he prays, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. In the midst of agony, in the midst of pain, 
Jesus forgives the very people causing this suffering. Then at some point in time, he cries out to God, Father, why have you forsaken me? He actually is summarizing in the moment, Psalm 22, what David wrote hundreds of years before. It was a reminder to those within earshot of the prophecy to take place. The wrath of God carried out on the back of Jesus. He thirsted. He even says the words, I am thirsty. Of course, he was not given a thirst-quenching drink that would satisfy this need in this moment. No, he was giving one of bitterness, one that would only add all the more to the torture of what he was going through. And then, church, there's the final words. Some of the most important words ever spoken, it is finished. And upon that moment, Jesus surrenders his life to death. It is finished. The earthly work, the stepping out of the splendor and the glory of heaven to come, to show us how to live our lives with one another, to show us how to do ministry, to, to show us and teach us how we are to live in relationship with one another. The forgiveness of sins, the earthly work of Jesus is finished and humanity is changed forever. The work of our redemption is finished. All of this Jesus did in the midst of suffering. All of this Jesus did while making sacrifice. The cross for Jesus is an opportunity to still live out who he is. It's not a woe is me moment. It's not a let me get through this six hours of pain and suffering. No, it's an opportunity to still serve the human race. In the midst of suffering and shame, Jesus still had people on his mind. He still had you and I on his mind. And that's what the cross should be for us. We will probably never see a real cross with someone being executed on it. At least I pray that we never experience that. So Jesus tells his disciples and he tells us we are to pick up our cross to follow him. What is this? Our cross simply is dying to self. Our cross is saying no to our desires our flesh, the things that we want so that we can elevate and push others and promote others. We don't do this with our words and we don't do this with excess. We do this with our actions. After all, that's what Jesus said we will be judged by. If you read the last part of the Sermon on the Mount, every one of those talking points that Jesus makes is about action. It's not about proclaiming things with our words. It's about how we live. So our cross is about sacrifice. And as we learn to sacrifice, God will use that to impact the lives of others. Church, our prayer for you is that you 
will be made aware of how you need to die to self, to pick up your cross for the benefit of others. Until next week, we'll see you.